Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Frog Jump Volleyball Podcast. My name is Ramius, and today we have Coach JW of Carthage College and Coach Rob Winger of Misericordia on to talk about this past season's NCAA tournament and the crazy year we had during COVID. Without further ado, let's get after it. Mr. JW. Oh, man, look at that trophy. <laughs> okay. Okay. Look at this guy. I love that. I love that so much. Someone, someone said we're doing it. Someone said I'm going to get a uh, Zoom call invite. So I said, oh, let's frame this really well. Well, I mean, that was fantastic. Oh, JW, that's funny. I'll, I'll wear the one we won. Yeah, I like, it. I like it. Hey, everybody's got to flex, man. Everybody's got to flex somehow. Is, Rob, is that, an, is that yours in the background I see? Yeah, yeah, yeah. My little semi guy. This one. Oh, I asked of, my head coach if I could order a full size replica. He said no. Right. Players were allowed. Well, Okay, Rob, we have on. a lot of those semifinals ones up there. We have way too many semifinals. I know. Yeah, you're, you're, probably, you're trying to hide those, man. <laughs> Congratulations, though, Coach JW. Uh, hello, everybody. Thank you. Welcome to the first official recording of the Frog Jump Volleyball Podcast. I can't actually believe we're actually doing this and being here right now. But it's kind of crazy how, uh, well, things are growing. And I'm honestly really excited to have you all on. Obviously, uh, I'll do a couple brief introductions here. We got, uh, for those of you who don't know, this is Connor McPhail. He's actually just graduating from Nuke Paltz, a good friend of mine. He's going to be taking over the Frog Drum podcast uh, relatively soon, but he's actually going to be uh, performing the role of a student athlete for this discussion that we're about to have during our COVID year and our NCAA tournament. Uh, we got Rob Misericordia here as well, or Rob, wow, Rob Winger of Misericordia here as well. And then of course we have our featured guest, Jay, Coach JW of Carthage Volleyball. Nice to see you, Coach. Happy to have you on. Thanks. It's happy to be here. Happy to talk about uh, Division Three men's volleyball. Excited. I know. It's, um, I got to be honest, like, we had a crazy year, right? So uh, just so everyone kind of has an idea of how things are going to go, I only have about four or five guided questions because I want us to have as much of a dialogue as possible. So uh, honestly, feel free to answer with as much context as you want, and let's just get right into it, right? So obviously this year, the big thing was COVID. Like, we went from not having, uh, possibly not having a season to having a season, and then in my opinion, having a particularly good NCAA tournament experience, but uh, for the large majority of the year, there's a lot of discussion about, like, well, training during COVID, training during COVID, training during COVID. I know I wrote a piece, uh, like a small piece on it way back in the fall on some of the things that people had to do or some of the things programs had to do training during COVID-wise. And obviously, like, we had a whole bunch of different experiences all throughout the landscape. So I kind of wanted to touch base. And all of you actually have a particularly interesting viewpoint, right? Because Connor's a student, was a student athlete up until uh, this past weekend, correct? Congratulations on graduating, Connor. Uh, Rob, you, play, you coach out of the MAC, which had one of the longest seasons of any of the East Coast conferences. And then JW out in CCIW, all the Midwest schools, you guys have been playing since February. So I kind of want to get like some feedback on all of your experience. Biggest in terms of skits in training this year and some like uh, based off like what you what you went through, what your programs had to deal with, like any particular struggles you might have had or some things that you kind of were able to take from that. And I figure we'll start with JW, go to Rob, and then we'll, we'll end with Connor, and then we'll move on. So, JW, I see the floor to you. Yeah, I think that's probably a good way to organize it, only because we, we had a pretty long season. Um, mm -hmm. I think the biggest uh, roadblocks we had was the travel situation, um, we were never able to stay overnight. So that was really the schedule differences that, mm -hmm. that we had. The only time we could actually stay overnight was when it happened. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that limited basically everybody we could play. Um, I guess we're super lucky in where we are located that uh, we're right there between Milwaukee and Chicago. So we have all of those schools that are within a three hour yeah. drive that even with that restriction, wasn't a big deal to overcome mm-hmm. uh, in terms of training stuff. Obviously the mask thing was a big deal, but just to get to play, I know um, Kyle Cohan said this, it felt like Christmas day just to get back in the gym with the guys. Like, yeah. like, like they're all just like the greatest <laughs> volleyball team for the first like month in training because they all worked their tails off as hard as they could just to be there and be with their friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I know different schools out here had it differently. I know Christian at Benedictine was talking about, I'm not sure they played sixes all year practice. It was something crazy like that. He was talking about with the way they had to deal with it. Um, for us, it was just about a resocialization period um, in both semesters. When we came back, just taking 14 days uh, and slowly working through like pods of five, five in a group to like 12 in a group to then the full team. Um, you know, we were lucky. And I think there's a lot of different ways to say we were lucky. We got, you know, 18 matches in the, in the preseason, but then also um, training felt relatively as normal as it possibly could have been. Wow. Wow, That's a great summary. Uh, Rob, what about you? What was it like uh, going on during, in the Mac there? Yeah, the fall was definitely a big challenge. Um, the Mac is a really large conference. Uh, we have 18 schools total, 10 who compete in men's volleyball, and we have a really wide geographic footprint. So we had schools that didn't have, have student athletes on campus that were training uh, or didn't have the opportunity to train throughout the fall. Um, we were in a no contact kind of idea for training where you couldn't be within six feet of each other. So blocking sixes, everything of that nature um, became, became quite the challenge. Um, and then specifically in December, uh, the Mac was really great about talking to coaches about what they wanted scheduling wise. And, and, you know, in the conversations we had with the different coaches, we all agreed that maximizing competition opportunities for our student athletes was the primary concern for us. And I think we were one of the first conferences to come out with something that became really popular this year, which was the single day doubleheader. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was a, uh, that was a driving force from, from our conference in a, in a way that we could, maximize competition while minimizing testing and crossover and uh man what an interesting uh interesting set of matches that would create in a day i remember the first one we had at alvernia we had lost in lost in three sets and we sat down and we saw the the timer going and said well we're just going to do this again and in 35 minutes with no changes just line it back up and uh it created for some really interesting matches and adjustments and changes uh on those competition dates through this year mm-hmm. But, uh, I definitely want to like circle back to that and we're going to get there because I have a couple of questions to come. I ask all of you based off that. And so Connor, uh, what about you from a student athlete's perspective? Like what was like, what was it like? And especially out of the UVC, right? Cause the UVC, uh, the UVC started very late in the game out of yeah. every, like they were one of the, la- they were like the last major cut. They were, they might've been the last conference, right. To like make a schedule and say, we're coming back into it. And then all of a sudden, I don't want to take too much too much of like what yeah, you're talking about. Yeah, so it was definitely very interesting and frustrating at the same time because, you know, being a SUNY school, you know, every other team is like playing through the SUNYAC. So like the SUNY schools had to communicate with within the UVC to kind of get something going and stuff. Mm-hmm. So that kind of took forever. And then and then on top of that, NYU, MIT and like like weren't able to play, you know, like mm-hmm. conferences and, and barred, like, you know, so <laughs> we only had Elmira, Naz, 
and Vassar left to play. And we're playing them like, like we're just we're playing them all so many times, you know, like how many teams, how many times are you going to like play Vassar, like the fourth ranked team in the nation and just like, you know, <laughs> so, I mean, it was a very, definitely very interesting, <laughs> but like, you know, I think New Paltz itself did a pretty good job with everything. Mm. We, uh, we did, we, they committed to like a pool testing system. So I was, I mean, I don't know if this is fortunate or not, but I, I got COVID and being that I got COVID, I didn't have to get tested like every mm. day to like, you know, keep it mm. going. So mm-hmm. I can't relate to like probably how stressful it was to probably go to pool testing before practice and like, you know, wait to get results. And that was something, I mean, and it's not like anybody's fault, but you know, sometimes like the results want to come back and we, we drove to Elmira and they're like, uh, you can't come yeah. in. Cause like, we don't have your results. We're like, like, why did we come anyway? If you didn't have our results and you didn't tell us this, like we were supposed yeah. to play that. Va- we were supposed to play Vassar. And like, we're already like, get ready to go like big game, like at Vassar. Mm-hmm. And they're like, Oh, you can't get off the bus. Like people don't have the results. Mm-hmm. We're like what? Like how, how is that supposed to work? <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. Sorry, besides that, besides mm-hmm. that, they kind of slowly, like, you know, we had full team practices for the most time. You know, everything was pretty lenient at school. But besides the, the traveling and, like, you know, testing like that, it was, it was a bit frustrating from a student-athlete perspective being, like, you know, we're doing everything we can. You know, we're staying inside. And just because, like, there's not, like, a negative result in front of you right then and there, you can't go in and play. No, I got you. And so uh, what were some of the, like, did you guys find yourselves, like, didn't, we'll go the same circle here. So, like, for the coaches – uh, did you guys find yourselves like getting a little bit creative during this uh, training period? Right. Because like, obviously like you didn't know, like the season was not going to look like any other typical season. Anyone has ever been coached, coached through trained through. And like, all of a sudden you're sitting there being like, okay, well now we have to do some certain, we have to do things differently. And like, you would just talk to, like JW brought this up yourself where you're sitting there being like uh, uh, Christian out at uh, Benedictine, like he may not have had sixes practice all year and his team somehow still went to the NCAA finals. And I, to my, in my opinion, I have no idea how that's possible without practicing sixes. So I'll have to talk to him about that another day. I don't know how long that lasted, but I know that was a thing for a certain period of time. And I was astonished the same way. I was like, how is this, how is your team so good? I don't really get it. Yeah. Just to uh, butt in really quick that, first semester we weren't we weren't allowed to have like more than like 10 people in the gym so like you know we're just playing back row threes for like every practice and you know as much as as much fun as back row threes is you know it's tough Mm. to like you know get like a rhythm and stuff to get going but fortunately enough second semester they let us like practice together and stuff so I'm happy to hear that so what did you guys like JW we'll start with you what did you guys uh see did you see yourself did you do anything like creative wise or like what did you like what were some challenges as a coach that you were like going through that yeah, I think maybe I'm lucky, and I don't know how Rob feels about that. You know, being the young coach, the first, mm-hmm. really my first full season. Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I'm doing things differently, but what is different, right? Like, I hadn't had a chance to do anything normal yet. <laughs> really honest with you. So, um, yeah, there's some there's some difficulties in, especially in those early practices. I think the biggest difficulties, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Connor was talking about, like walking into the gym and not having tests and not being able to play. You know, there were times when guys couldn't practice because of that, um, you know, different people um, with classes. But then also that throws a wrench into things with COVID testing about when you got tested, if you could practice. And so you didn't really know necessarily who was going to be in the gym every day, regardless of anything else. So it was, it was interesting. I think we did a lot of stuff, like Connor said, back row stuff. 
Um, we tried to keep the middles away from the setters early on, like with the gap. gap oh, that's okay. gap go. Uh, like really good at gap go, and that kind of fits our system anyway. So um, that was funny to see that. But I think just coaching in general is about adapting to the team in front of you, right? And and so you have to run different systems depending on your players. Uh, and, and so that's just a different, like, adaptation of this. All right, we got to run another gap this year because it's all we could practice for a while. <laughs> that's funny. Rob, what about you? Um, yeah, the fall definitely had some challenges with the pod-based practices we were running. Um, I, I coach both the men and women here at Misericordia. Um, mm-hmm. So we would have – we had four groups for each team, and they had to be divided up in terms of lifts, training sessions, everything in between. Um, so at one point, uh, we were running as many as 17 training sessions a week uh, with practices, lifts, well, and everything in between. You um, coach both. Yeah. You coach both. Okay, so you just lived in the gym then. Yeah, so so what we would joke about um, yeah. with our student-athletes, when we would have, you know, a group of nine kids or a group of ten, ten young ladies um, and three coaches, we would say, hey, this is the most individual attention you're ever going to get mm-hmm. while you're here at Misericordia. So we were able to really hone in on specific technique things or try to develop a certain skill set because we were at, you know, a three-to-one coach-to-player ratio. So we tried to take advantage where we could of having those smaller groups and saying, hey, um, let's capitalize on this. And, you know, maybe we'll work on specific wrist-away swings from the right side or, you know, passing balls outside of your body to your left, whatever kind of technical details we wanted to shine mm-hmm. in on. Um, that was one one big silver lining of the, uh, of the fall training period. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, Connor, we'll end this little uh, section with you here because uh, I'm a New Paltz alumni as well, and I've trained under Radu for a large number of years. So did you notice Radu doing anything differently this year based off? So, so at first, originally, you know, Radu, you know, preseason, though, tries to do all those, like, crazy plyometric stuff. <laughs> and <laughs> it's just, like, so hard to, like, breathe in those masks with those stuff. Like, And then I think, I, you know, it's tough you know, tough to do like all that conditioning with the mask on. And I think we got like a little problem with like the athletic department because like we're doing all this conditioning and it's like tough to breathe with those. So I guess like they like canceled or like a couple of our practices at the beginning of the season, like individually. Well, but Brad do, Brad do, I mean, I think he adjusted to it pretty well. You know, mm-hmm. once we got everybody back in the gym, you know, it was like pretty much normal, like, you know, you know, I don't, you know, a big point and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, a lot of serve receive reps, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So for the most part, I think he did a pretty good job. Just at the, like at the beginning when it was very individual, mm-hmm. he had like, I think, trouble like adapting to it, but he got mm-hmm. a hang of it. Oh, I'm, I'm sure he would. I mean, the man's got two national championships. I'm sure he's been around the block a time or two, especially yes. playing in Romania all those years, right? All right. Yes. So obviously, um, and just like in my own point here, because like I spent some time with the West Point women's volleyball team and one thing, and honestly, I've talked with coaches all over the country, right? Uh uh, through frog jump and through every other association I have. And I think one of like the hidden blessings as a coach, right. Especially at this level specifically is because you have all of the, you literally have like a team of like 12 to 18. Some team, some people have 20, 20 athletes that you have to take care of. And your entire job as a coach is to kind of like find what the best formula is and start winning games with that formula. And so you're always thinking this big picture stuff. You're really thinking big picture. You're thinking cog here, cog here, cog here. This is how everything works together. This is going to be our system this year. But now all of a sudden you're being told you can't have large groups of people in the room. Like you don't have this flexibility. You don't have the ability to look at the big picture because now you're being forced to look at the micro interaction right there in front of you. And one of the things that I actually found as a blessing, right, was it actually allowed us to work with individual athletes one-on-one a lot. 
which is one of my, like, I, like earlier in my career, I love doing private lessons. If I could do private lessons for the rest of my life, I would just because like you get to, like you establish a relationship where you can work on skills and stuff. And, but you don't get to do that as a coach a lot because you're looking at everybody and you're looking at the big picture. And now I kind of think it was like, I know I spoke with a couple coaches over the year, over the year. They're like, well, like it is kind of like a breath of fresh air because oftentimes I'm working with a group of 20 and now I'm being forced to work with a group of four. And especially at the D3 level, we don't have that much practice time comparatively to the D1 level where they're probably in the gym six, seven hours a day. Now, how do you do that? And you don't. And so we were kind of forced to this year, which I thought was like an interesting little factoid not many people would have known about. But moving forward here, the next thing I kind of want to talk about, right, is we had our season. Uh, obviously, uh, the narratives have been talked on Fog Jump all year. And then all of a sudden we get to the bracket relief, right? Like Carthage had a particularly strong year. JW, if you've read the site, you know, I was part- I was high on Carthage all year I was off I was I was saying oftentimes like Carthage is good this year guys like this is this is the year Carthage is good this is the year Carthage is good like I've been saying it since February and then everyone say that again you appreciated it (laughs) well thank you I had a lot of people telling me I was on crack but you know it is okay but anyway uh to be a prophet that's (laughs) (laughs) well thank you JW do appreciate it but now we get to the bracket release, right? And so obviously now it's game time. So the selection committee makes the roadmap and all of us had an opinion, like everyone at the pond, like me, Harvey and Bradley, we all made our bra- we all made our brackets. We kind of explained like what we thought was kind of the path going forward for every team. And so like, I kind of want to like touch base with everybody because everyone's going to have an opinion on this. JW, you obviously are going to have an opinion because you had to, you had to, you had to walk the road to get there and hold the trophy at the end at the end of the day but obviously rob was there announcing and uh connor was obviously like watching was watching the games and he's been talking with me all throughout for the last couple of months on like frog jump stuff so i kind of want to see like when you when you saw the bracket release like and you saw what your road was like what was like what what were programs that kind of caught your eye like as you looked at that bracket and you're sitting there from a coaching perspective obviously you have to prepare for x and y teams but obviously you have to look at the other end of the bracket and be like, okay, well now these are other people. Like if we know we're this good and we're eventually going to get there, who do we have to keep our eyes on? So I hope that question makes sense. Yeah. I think originally we came out and <laughs> we thought about, all right, we got to have 11 scouting report or, you know, whatever scouting reports ready to go. Yeah. And, and as we got farther in with the bracket, we kind of honed in on, on our half mm-hmm. um, and, and who we thought we were going to be able to play in, in our half of the side. And we wanted to go in with, with those scouts ready. So mm-hmm. um, I think we ended up having, uh, what is that? Three, three scouts ready, or mm-hmm. four scouts ready to go going into the tournament um, with the teams that we thought were most likely to play. Um, and then we kind of just wanted to work on it from the other half of the bracket if we did get to the final, which obviously we thought we had an opportunity to do. Um, we weren't sure. And there's just so many teams that we thought the back half, it was we didn't want to come up with eight. We just felt like that was too much work. So we were going to kind of see who was going to kind of move forward out of that into the semis and then do some backfilling once we got there. So, um, yeah, we went in with four from our half. and. Mm-hmm. Um, it was interesting, and I'm sure Connor feels that way. It was interesting to not see New Paltz. Or, or, or Springfield. Right? Yeah, for Springfield in it. Um, I think that was an interesting call, but I think that's just what happens in a COVID year and a lot of matches being played, right? And mm-hmm. I think the things we did really well mm-hmm. is that we just found ways to win, right? Mm-hmm. We played 23 matches and we were undefeated. Like, you know, I think that's the one, the only way that I think we can – 
you know, claim that we should be a national champion because, you know, spring only got six, they, but they lost one. Right. So I mm-hmm. think that's the only reason why I feel comfortable, like with that trophy behind me is that, yeah. you know, we were just consistent all year. We found ways to win maybe when we shouldn't have been playing our best or we weren't playing mm-hmm. our best. And, um, yeah. I was really mm-hmm. proud of the guys for the grind that, that we went through and every single day finding a way to not get COVID knowing who they're around, but also yeah. thinking through matches and, and finding mm-hmm. ways to win. Um, is a pretty special year. Uh, I'll come back to this finding ways to win bit because I want to touch on that a little bit. But Rob, what about? Well, we'll go to you here. Like, obviously, you were announcing. Uh, you're pretty well known in the D3 landscape. You were announcing the tournament, but awesome job on the play by play. By the way, like this was a fantastic job. I Thank I you. can only say that so many times. So many times, Rob. Like, fantastic job on that. And so, but you obviously, so you were there. Like, you were literally there. You saw the bracket. You have a great sense of D3VB. And then on top of that, you watch practices at the tournament, right? Like you were literally there seeing like who's kind of like on, who's kind of not. And so like, what were your like thoughts? Like what programs did you have your eyes on when you were there or even before that? Yeah. And, and I actually even want to rewind it a little bit, you know, yeah, serving on the championship committee and, and being <laughs> responsible for, for selecting the bracket. Um, <laughs> um, what, what a challenge this year mm-hmm. was. I even remember sitting down and, and having our rack calls um, mm-hmm. and, and doing the rankings. And mm-hmm. there was just such a lack of data for us yeah. to use to select these teams. Um, the first week that we did practice rankings, Mm-hmm. Only four programs in the East region had even played a match. Yeah. So, so the, the qualification for being regionally ranked in the East was to have played. And <laughs> I want to talk about a low bar to clear. Yeah. <laughs> and then as it went forward, you know, there's no mm-hmm. common opponents. There's no mm-hmm. crossover. There's no this. And, and you really had to, you know, mm-hmm. everyone who knows me knows I'm a big math guy. You really had to dive into those numbers. And then mm-hmm. from there, um, we use more eye tests than ever, which Mm -hmm. is something that's really, really difficult to do Mm -hmm. when you're so used to using a formula um, to find out, you know, where your teams are at. So Mm -hmm. uh, at the end, you know, we we felt pretty good about our bracket, Um, Mm -hmm. having a pool B become your Mm -hmm. national champion in Carthage. uh, JW will say it a hundred times this podcast, but congratulations again. Um, And then one of our pool C selections was who they faced off with in the national championship. So when you have two non-automatic qualifiers uh, squaring off for national championship, we felt pretty good about where we were at as a committee. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of being at the championship site, it it was so interesting to see how differently every Mm -hmm. program approached their their training sessions. Mm -hmm. And I remember talking to JW when they came into – the civic center to train the first day he, he told me like hey we're, we're probably gonna be the most relaxed group who comes into practice at any point during this week now they, they missed that mark a little bit there were definitely some some happy to be there programs but in terms of the serious contenders yeah uh, they were definitely the losers of the group and you know the one that probably struck me the most was the day of the semifinals was watching watching Carthage train and then watching Dominican and, and you would never look at the two practices and feel like those programs were, were at the same place and same time with just the way they treated those moments. And it's not <laughs> that there was one that was right or one that's wrong. Cause you can look at all 12 teams who practice that week. Um, but it's amazing to see all the different avenues to success and approaches to those sessions that were, I remember, you know, as a student athlete, we almost got kicked out of our NCAA practice for some of the stuff we pulled during that. Cause we were really loose at that same time. So, um, 
that was definitely something that was interesting to see. And even across the different regions, mm-hmm. how East Coast teams practice differently than, than the Midwest teams who are there. It was, it was a really interesting thing to see from a coaching perspective and to see mm-hmm. how the student athletes responded to that coaching. Mm-hmm. All right. Now, Connor, to you, like, what were some things you noticed after the bracket? Like, what programs did you have your eye on? Obviously, new, obviously it sucked New Paltz and Springfield weren't in there. So, but I honestly yeah. think, and we'll get to that another day. I, I can't say it sucked, or I don't want to use that terminology because at the end of the day, in my opinion, you have to beat the teams in front of you. And that's honestly it because, and simple as that. But uh, when you watch the bracket, like what programs did you have your eyes on? What programs did you have your eyes on? What were some things that you noticed? So after, you know, Vassar beat us, I thought, mm-hmm. I mean, I thought Vassar honestly was going to go, go the way, mm-hmm. you know, they just probably come off a crazy high of beating us, you know, because mm-hmm. they, you know, big rivalry there. But mm-hmm. I also had a big, uh, I thought, I mean, Dominican looked really good. I watched, I don't know which game it was, but I'm like, these guys are solid. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, I mean, my first time that I was able to watch Carthage was in the national championship. And I mean, I was like, not the national championship, like the games before. And I mean, like, damn, like, <laughs> these guys can play. Mm-hmm. But, you know, <laughs> before that, you know, I guess we were just like so focused on like kind of, you know, us and like playing and stuff and just like being in our our, our zone because like you know we put on our uh, Ramius as you know mm-hmm. New Paltz just like continues to put your, ourselves in these very difficult situations to like win <laughs> we just like have to like like you know at the beginning of the year that you know that St. John Fisher game you know we're up for mm-hmm. like you know we have to win that to like you know have a chance to get in and not hope for like an at-large bit or something but you know every I mean watching the bracket go out you know that's what I I I, I Vassar Dominican is the teams I had my eyes on. Okay. And, and honestly, that's fine. I think a lot of because I know here at the pond, right? We had like me, Bradley, me, Bradley, and uh, Harvey. We all looked at that Vassar Dominican match. All three of us did, and we were like, "Well, yeah. this game is going to be particularly important because." And and I think and nothing, no shot against you, Connor. I think you kind of like I think you bring up you actually introduced a really good point, right? Like the first time you had ever watched Carthage play was in the semifinals uh, because you're an East Coast program. You guys don't, don't, don't go out there and they don't come over here very often because now the volleyball has gotten so spread out while you're at, you can all have good seasons in your regions. But uh, for people that are like paying attention, not that you're not paying attention, but people looking at the larger landscape, for, larger landscape picture, it's just like, well, the Dominican team was very good. Like I, I remember having Dominican in my top five at the very, very beginning of the year. And then they lost to Benedictine. And then everyone kind of like sent me very embarrassing messages in my, in my inboxes being like, Ramius, you're a moron. Why would you ever do that? Well, okay. Hindsight's kind of 2020. And as the season kind of played out, it kind of made sense. Like, wow, these teams are really good. And granted, I didn't even see Benedictine play until they played Dominican and they upset Dominican on the home court in five. Right. And so it kind of like touches on this, uh, East Coast Midwest rival, this East Coast versus, Mid- 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 versus Midwest narrative that has kind of played out all throughout D3's, land, uh, D3's history. And especially this year when the Midwest were the programs that kind of ascended. And this was like the first year the Midwest kind of put their foot on their foot down and said, we're here and we're ready to play volleyball because like, no, I don't think a single person had Dominican. I don't think, let me, let me correct this. I don't think a single person outside the Midwest and outside of the pond itself had Dominican beating Vassar. 
in the, in those matches. I know, like I said, that I kind of had them as like a small edge over Vassar. A lot of people looked at Vassar and said they were a national championship team. And you know what? They are. They were very talented. I think I personally think if you can win the UBC, you can win the national championship. And that's kind of just like historically been very accurate. But now all of a sudden you're getting all this exposure, like Dominican had a really good matchup against Vassar. And then all of a sudden they just, they swept them 3-0, right? And that was just like the result that happened on the court. And so I was actually particularly pleased with, and we're going to start talking about the tournament now, and I'll save some of these narratives for that. But I was particularly pleased with the tournament that we had for a couple of reasons, but this is where we kind of seg into that, segue into talking about the tournament itself, right? So uh couple of questions on venue, because I know I have my opinion on this. So you, I, you all went down to Virginia. This location has a pretty storied, has a pretty, has a pretty storied uh, reputation for hosting like Division Three athletics. And so I kind of want to get, for those of you who were there and for those of us who are watching, like, what were your impressions on the venue, the setting, people who worked there, the overall experience for the, for the athlete, and then the overall uh, experience for Division Three volleyball as a whole? So we'll start with JW, go to Rob, and we'll circle back to Connor and me. So I guess my only my only take on this is what Rob told me when I showed up, because uh, I hadn't even met Rob yet. This is the first, the first time I met Rob was there at the tournament. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so, so yeah, the first thing he said is the venue is beautiful. Um, one of the best we, we, we've had. It's a great championship space. I think <clears throat> one of the things I guess maybe I was – we had to deal with, which is kind of what we dealt with all year was that it was, it was a big facility and um, you had to create your own, your own energy because of that. Uh, you just, the, the, the sound just kind of got lost in the entire space of it. Um, but it was, it was a gorgeous facility, a gorgeous arena. Um, I, I think it was a great place to play a championship because it was a championship caliber event. It was run in a championship caliber way. I told the guys CWA committee on the way out that if something went wrong, I didn't notice it. it so <laughs> I either something went did go wrong or something went wrong. I never had a chance to notice it because it was ran that way. So um, it was it was really well run. Um, the facility was gorgeous. It's just we it, it didn't necessarily always feel like we were in a national championship match mm -hmm. just because it was so big. Uh, but again, we had to do that all year where we didn't have a whole ton of fans. And that was our challenge. You know, we've played we play a lot of in front of a lot of fans here at home and we've had to kind of go through that all season long. So that was the only like tough part about it. But, you know, uh, it, it, was, it was a fun experience, and I think the guys had a great time with it. Rob, what about you? Uh, it's a crazy story from start to finish. I mean, you, you look at early February, and we're on calls, not even sure if we're going to have enough programs competing in 2021 to have a national championship. Mm -hmm. And Rochester has to pull out because of, you know, the mm – -hmm the requests that we had made as a championship committee and the way New York was handling everything. Um, mm -hmm. So not only do we not know if we're going to have a championship, we don't know where it's going to be if we do have one. Mm -hmm. and, and I will, I will thank my stars for the folks in Salem who stepped up and said they're ready to go. They were absolute rock stars from start to finish. Um, within eight weeks, they put together a, a championship quality experience for the student athletes. It was their 90th, NCAA Division Three Championship they hosted in Salem. Wow. The first time they had ever hosted men's volleyball. Really? Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, at, at the venue ever. Never would have guessed. I believe it was the first time in 10 years they had, or 10 plus years they had hosted NCAA volleyball after having a, wow. a Juniata National Championship on the women's side a few years back. Um, wow. I need to give uh, applause to 
uh, Kerry Harvey Cutter and John Shaner, those guys live and breathe for the championship experience. If there is anything you want, you need, they absolutely did their best to take care of it for the student athletes and, and all the folks at the Civic Center. I mean, from, from wiping down each individual ball after a practice session wow. to, to serving as, as shaggers prior I will to the match. Say, I will say this, Rob, sorry for interrupting you. Um, the, the, I did get a talk and I think you heard if you're watching the division one national championship, that the floor was kind of sticky. Um, and mm. like, I thought the floor w- was okay where we were at. We didn't have a whole ton of problems with it. So I think that also says how well run that Salem did their job is that wow. there was some problems with that same exact floor when it went to Columbus and, and for us, D one level. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. So I think that's, it says more about how good, it, how well it was run there in Salem. Mm. Yeah, we, we went over every possible scenario on every phone call, um, every pre-championship call to make sure we, we had all our ducks in a row. And the folks in Salem, they did a great job. The venue itself, um, obviously not from a, from a coaching uh, perspective because, you know, we weren't, we weren't competing there. Um, but I will never forget watching the guys walk in from their first day of testing. And the rule is like, oh, you know, you can, you can peek in and take a look at what the venue is going to look like. And, and there was one program, I'm not going to say who, but we actually had to back them up because the guys got so excited. They were almost out onto the floor. And you had about, <laughs> you had about 40 feet of runway um, from the floor to the, to the, to the court. So it was, wow. it was exciting to see their reactions of just mm-hmm. something that felt like such a hodgepodge to try and get everything together. Um, mm-hmm. to see the way that it did come together so quickly um, mm-hmm. and such such quality for the student athletes was was awesome and it definitely made it uh, all the efforts worthwhile. Well, I'm happy to hear. Connor, what about you? Because you and I were spectators for that. You and I were online spectators, I should say. And I know I yeah. had opinions, so I kind of want to get yours too because you've been so, to a national championship. Unfortunately, you know, this year, New Baltimore Volleyball had to be a spectator. And I, know, <laughs> I thought... Um, I, you know, we all follow the D3 volleyball community. We all follow each other on Instagram. So I think I saw I followed someone on uh, Wentworth. I think it was like Ryan Engel. And he mm-hmm. posted like a picture of like the, the court. And mm-hmm. the first thing I thought was like, damn, like that mm-hmm. place looks awesome. Like I want to be there. Like, because I remember walking into like the Keen when Keen hosted it in 2019. Like they do a fantastic job of like, you know, keep like, mm-hmm. like making you feel like special. Like, you know, this mm-hmm. is like your moment. Like you're in the like, you know, you're in the playoffs and competing for a national championship. And it, like looking at being a spectator and looking and watching, it just like looked awesome. And as you guys speak so highly of it, I mean, it sounded awesome. So I, I thought I was personally jealous that I could not be there. Well, one more thing, Ramis, you know, thinking yeah. back to it um, and Connor mentioning Kane had reminded me, um, this was the first championship since I think 2017, maybe 2016, that was back to more than four teams at the final site. Yeah. So having the interaction and having mm-hmm. that volleyball community, um, mm-hmm. you know, there for the entire weekend was really cool. You know, seeing JW's guys chop it up at the hotel with the guys from Benue uh, and yeah. socially distant chopping it up uh, uh-huh. <laughs> with the guys from Dominican and Benue was really neat. Or, you know, Vassar. Vassar was at every match it felt like. And the guys wow. were, were in the stands making their mm-hmm. voice heard, you know, having a fun time. So, Mm-hmm. Seeing all the different interaction, you know, going back to my experience in 2016 when there were eight teams at the final site and mm-hmm. allowing there to be a little bit more of a community was something that's really neat and really unique to the world of men's volleyball, where mm-hmm. 
in other sports, you do not see people who are friends with, you know, opponents, rivals in the same way that it is in men's volleyball where, where you know, we play with those kids over, over winter break and over summer break and seeing that environment come to a national championship level experience mm-hmm. uh, was really cool to experience in person. And so, and I'm happy you brought that up, Rob, specifically because like, I've been watching, like, I mean, I was an, I was a D3 athlete, right? Like, man, I played on for New Paltz before New Paltz was good. So like New Paltz kind of like ascended after my, after literally the year after my, my, my class graduated. And so <laughs> don't laugh at me, Rob. <laughs> but it's all like because you, Ray, they ascended. It's all because of you. Well, well, well fingers crossed. Crazy. I'm not sure if that's true or not, but I am happy for the flattery, JW. Thank you. But uh, so I've watched all of the, I've watched every D3 championship or every D3 men's championship since I've been involved in the landscape. Right. And so, and I, I'm, I'm literally speechless right now talking about the, in my opinion, the effect that that event had on me as a D3 VB fan and on the landscape as a whole, because like Connor's talking about, like, obviously Connor talk, brought up this point where we're kind of all interconnected. Right. And that's kind of how frog jump is able to exist is because our landscape is very interconnected. We play with each other all the time and we're rather large. And like, we see each other during the summer and the winter and we're like, we have these kind of relationships and the experience for me watching the watching the athletes go through the experience they had, they all got to go to the tournament site together. It honestly felt like, and I was watching it from the viewpoint of the live stream. The live stream was fantastic outside of that one hiccup during the championship. The live stream was fantastic. And the court was great. i never saw an issue with the court as JW was talking about. The officiating was great. And even though there weren't that many fans inside, it literally felt electric every time those guys got out on the court. And it didn't matter if the matchup was Wentworth versus NJCU, or if it was Vassar versus Hiram, or if it was, uh, the national championship match between Benedictine and uh, Carthage, like you truly felt like this was the culminating moment for our sport, for our sport in the season, especially after the season we had. And so from the event, the venue, the announcers, kudos to you, Rob, the teams, kudos to UJW and like everyone, like in terms of the experience, like for me as a spectator, I was sitting there being like, wow, like, I'm just so happy that this is like what the best of D3 VB is being shown right now, especially because it truly was a top class affair, in my opinion. And I don't know how valid, how valuable or valid my opinion really is. I in think the, in, like, yeah. the fact that like so many people came together, right? Normally it's just a final four yeah. and it, it's a smaller type feel. Mm-hmm. I think that it was like so many teams. It was a cool first experience for me mm-hmm. in general, mm-hmm. because we, I, I haven't yet experienced a lot of East Coast Division Three men's volleyball. That was this was really my first opportunity to do that. Welcome um, to the East Coast, baby. <laughs> JW's laughing like, man, this is so easy. Why is that <laughs> feel about that? Well, we actually didn't play anybody except for Messiah. That was the only East Coast team we played. But getting to watch Vassar play and the athleticism that those guys had, and you know Wentworth and Southern Virginia, like like just getting my first experience and getting to see it live, um, getting to see what the top level was like. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was pretty cool, and I think like. Um, I think it was pretty well covered, Christian, in my relationship in terms of how good of friends we are. But like, normally we don't get to do that, right? Because we're playing those matches here in the Midwest. Only one of us gets to go. And, 
be able to have that opportunity to do that at a national championship environment, um, mm -hmm. be so close with the guys who you are with mm -hmm. in the recruiting trail and mm -hmm. um, planning it so often to be able to have that experience out there. Like, like Robin said, like how close our groups were, um, mm -hmm. whether it was Dominican, Benedictine or us, like just, right. it was cool to be able to do that out there, not just in, you know, in our own silo out here. I was going to say, I know you guys are close because you keep interacting on the Frog Jump Instagram and everyone's saying, oh, everyone's so good. Everyone's so good. Oh, this guy's great. This guy's great. I'm like, nah, you guys kill each other, kill each other on the court. And you did. And this kind of like segues into where I kind of wanted to go, right? Because you were talking about finding ways to win earlier, uh, JW. And obviously, like, we're all going to have some questions regarding this and everything. Like, but... I watched, I think I watched more Carthage volleyball this year than I've watched at any other point in time. And largely because like it helped. We played 18 matches. That helped. It did it really did, right? And at the end of the day, I was sitting there being like, I watched you guys find ways to win all throughout the season, especially in like moments where it didn't look like you were playing your best ball. Now everyone on the East Coast has got was, and I'll tell and I'm just saying this because this was the East Coast narrative, right? Well, Carthage is out in the Midwest. It doesn't really matter. Midwest volleyball is Midwest volleyball. I'm sitting here being like, okay, you're really not listening to anything. You're really just regurgitating what you intrinsically believe. This will be fine. I'm going to move my conversation elsewhere. <laughs> but I started, but then you guys get to the tournament, right? And so now all of a sudden Carthage is going up against Messiah and uh, outside of Carthage, outside of Carthage ending at the top of the mountain at the end of the year, I think it's a fair assessment to say Messiah was kind of the breakout program of the year, right? Because like not, Messiah wasn't really on anyone's national radar last year. And then all of a sudden they come out like Mason, like, I mean, I talked about Mason Nisley in my season, in my uh, landscape series early in the beginning. I was like, yeah, this kid's really good. He's going to play. Huh? I know Harvey was really high on Mason Nisley coming in. He's like, yeah, this kid's going to be a uh, player of the year candidate, yada, yada, just based off how uh, his uh, based off how he has developed as a player. And now all of a sudden Messiah is on national conversation and going back to what Rob was saying with the max double headers throughout the year, like the single day double headers. I personally enjoy that because like you need to find what you may not, you may be having a rough day right then and there, but you got to figure it out, right? Like you have to figure out how you're going to win. And Messiah played Stevens in a double header on their home court. Mason Nisley had over 120 attempts between both of those matches and he yeah. those were two five set affairs where he still hit over 330. One of the wildest things I've ever done in my entire life is when I first went to scout, when I first went to scout Messiah, right? Yeah. And okay. Because they're a team that we might have to play now. And I I had heard, and Mason Nisley had been the player of the week, I think a couple of times in the country, right? So mm -hmm. I knew the name and I was like, oh, this is going to be a tough draw for us. Let's go look up his number. Mm -hmm. And when I saw the number of swings that kid would take in a match in, in, in the same day, it, mm -hmm. like, saw some 72s in there mm -hmm. like 72 swings and matches and still yes. hit 50 i was like oh boy we are in trouble i and like i've talked with uh i talked with uh mpsf bias who as he covers like the division one landscape and he like he's always being like oh i see like this is option a b and c this is fine and i'm sitting here being like well no it really isn't well i mean it is fine like he does take that many swings but he's also like and you keep in mind this team also has nate bowman they have matt nab this team, like this team has like other options. Like they have other offense. It's just Mason Nisley was like, he was that good of a player this year. But then when you're talking about ways to win, right? Like Masayo kind of gave you guys the business for the first like half of that first set. Right. Cause I think you guys were down 1913 at a point and Messiah's like, you weren't playing the best Carthage volleyball I had seen throughout the season. And then all of a sudden I'm sitting here and be like, I get like, sometimes this happens. I kind of want to see if they can like, 
turn the corner and then all of a sudden you started turning the corner right and you still I think you were down 1913 in one of in the first set and you ended up winning that set so like how did you like then talk to me about that like I, I I'm interested to know because most people go into that situation and you're sitting there being like wow like we just have to prepare for the next set at this point because there's no way we're getting back to this we're getting this one back but we did. were there a lot we were there a lot over the year I think that's yeah. part of why we didn't freak yes. out moment mm -hmm. benedictine had us down a lot at our place um the first time we played them we were down about five i think late mm -hmm. i think i remember at 16 12 i went to go out it says at my place when we were playing benedictine i went to go ask the downer how many timeouts do i have left? and mm -hmm. he kind of back at me you haven't taken one yet i looked <laughs> back up and it's like wow i got wow. i'm really trying to play with fire here i can't believe i haven't taken one yet but i guess i gotta take one now yeah okay <laughs> so, um like I think that just we, we've been in that situation against North Central. We were down in the first set at their place earlier in the season, down a couple of points early and fought our way back. Then North Central's at our place in the second and third set. We were down a lot late and made a comeback. So um, that, was, that was a great match, by the way. I, that was like what I remember when we first started getting into the season. I wrote I was so inspired by that match of volleyball. I literally wrote an article about it being like because all you taught you two, you those teams were your team in North Central, you were literally just hitting each other with haymakers that entire game. And I'm sitting here being like, these guys are not tired yet. And then all of a sudden, and I was sitting there being like, whatever team gasses out in the third is going to be the, like, and North and North Central was the one that gassed out, obviously. More power to them because that's a tough way to play. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. But no, no, it was good volleyball. I think one of those things was, so we had gone through those situations, right? We were talking about being down. 15-11 in the break or at the media timeout and then 1913 uh late we'd been through a bunch of those situations and um you know so we'd already communicated and, and talked about like we just have to trust ourselves trust our brand of volleyball mm -hmm. and Russ will make a run I think when we had made some defensive plays in those matches right digs blocks great serving runs um we were able to kind of trust ourselves in that environment to make the call. I remember I was doing the interview with Rob and I think Rob asked that same question. What happened at that media timeout? Mm -hmm. And I King just media timeout. King of the media timeout. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say that did happen quite often throughout the tournament. Keep well, going. well, like when you know it's coming, right, you can use it to your advantage. So that that's what, especially going to that first set, I knew we were going to be nervous. Like, why would you not be nervous? Like it's your mm -hmm. first opportunity to play in a mm -hmm. national championship venue. We hadn't been in a final four before. None of our guys had. Um, you can, I, you can blame Rob. Blame, yeah. blame Rob. <laughs> I knew we were going to come in nervous. Messiah had just played a five setter. They were not going to be nervous coming into play. Up. So, mm -hmm. you know, I knew we were going to be nervous. And, and so I, I came in like wanting to trust the guys and not wanting to call our timeout because mm -hmm. I felt like that would communicate that I'm nervous, that I don't think that we have a, we could come back. Right. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't called early timeouts most of the season. So mm -hmm. now if I call one in the tournament, now what am I communicating to my guys? Right. Mm -hmm. um, so the whole, the, the whole goal for me was to just not freak out, let us settle mm -hmm. ourselves in and then use that media timeout. As long as we're within four, like, let's mm -hmm. just keep riding this out and trust we can make a run. Um, and so it's just about knowing your team. Right. And, and that's where we were all season. So I trust that we we're going to do it now. Was I nervous and was I freaking out on the inside about maybe this is the right decision? Yes, I was. But, um, you know, it's just a testament to the guys and how well they're led by this uh, leadership group with Matt Slavinsky, uh, Blake Arnold and Parker Connolly, like how well they're able to um, keep their guys convinced they're going to win no matter what the score is. Yeah. And so. Oh, yeah. Sorry, Robert. Yeah. You know, just, just having a chance to talk with JW and, and some of the different guys throughout the weekend, um, you know, JW talks about how he sets that tone. It's certainly something the guys believe in across the board, um, because mm -hmm. I specifically remember in the semifinal, 
when you guys were up 2-0 on Dominican and they started playing much better in that third set and they led 24-21 and, and you guys came back and you sweep them in three uh, facing three different set points. And I asked Matt after the match when we were doing the interview, like, hey, you know, how'd you guys get there? And he just said, oh, when it was 24-21, I knew you were going to win. And my first thought was like, was at what score do you not believe that anymore? <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah, 17 is too little. Like, 325, that's yeah. when you believe you didn't win. That's when you that's start when you believe you. <laughs> but it, it was incredible to hear that that mindset. And, you know, people say that as a cliche, but having the chance to look at him while I asked that question, he really did believe it. He said we were down 24-21, and I still knew we were going to win. And when you have, and I'm sure JW can, can speak to it more, but just kind of how he mentioned, when you have a head coach who believes in you in that way, and you've got 17, 18 guys next to you who believe in each other that way, then a lot of times you can manifest that reality. Um, and it's certainly something that, that you could see in person when you, watch the, when you watch that Firebird team compete during the tournament. Oh uh, yeah, that's right. Firebirds. I forgot. Wait, well, I didn't forget. I've been calling Firebirds all season, but it's the first year since the name change and great way to end it. Right. So we're getting to the semi, we're talking about the semifinals, right? So you, you beat Messiah, who was the breakout team of the, of the tournament. You're going up against Dominican, who is uh, like they had beaten, they had beaten you guys last year and uh, yep. they beat you in five. I don't know if it was a reverse sweep. I think it was but um, I don't believe it was that one was not MSOE yeah. did reverse sweep us last year but I think that one was a kind of a back and forth affair against Dominican last year gotcha and but so obviously like you two were like and I wrote about the best of the best of the Midwest matchups all year and being like these are the programs that are going to be going head to head now all of a sudden we're in the semifinals right where we got three Midwest programs battling it out in the final four and so we had uh you were going up against Dominican, and, you, and those programs have historically, over the last four or five years, been the two up. The have historically, over the last four or five years, been battling for supremacy in the Midwest as like the volleyball power. And then on the other side, we have Benedictine, who's rather new to the D three landscape themselves, but uh, they're going up against Southern Virginia, and Southern Virginia kind of flew underneath everyone's. And my, I, I don't want to say everyone. They definitely flew under my radar this year, and I knew this team was good last year. I even talked about how. Like their team was one of the most one of my favorite teams to watch last year when they had uh, with uh, Kaipo, Cougar Clark, uh, Nawal Rekabarn. And honestly, the only one they really lost was Cougar Clark. Right. That was really the only they lost one of their starting outside. It was an All-American. I'm saying, but based off how the CBC did their pool play, they played in a in a pool that had. I want to say Randolph McCann. I don't know who the other program was the other one. Eastern Mennonite. And so they kind of felt flew underneath the radar. And I think for a lot of teams, because they're not really marquee matchups to put on the board. Right. Because like all of a sudden, like Juniata plays key. And now everyone will watch that game or everyone's going to like try to figure out what, like what the narrative of that game was because they're like two national programs. But now all of a sudden, Southern Virginia's playing against Randolph McCann twice during the season or three times during the season. And now all of a sudden, like they can kind of hide their talent level. And now all of a sudden CVC tournament comes around and they're beating Rutgers, they're beating Rutgers Newark, they're beating Juniata. Like they're beating these teams that are established powers in the landscape. And now all of a sudden we're seeing, this offense, which was incredibly creative, one of the more creative offenses I've seen in a while, uh, come swing hitting, then... baby, swing hitting. That was fun to watch. <laughs> and so swing hitting was fun to watch, man. That yeah. guy Noel going back when he'd cover over the top of a tip, mm -hmm. pick up the tip, and then run a flare on the back pin. That yeah. was wild to watch, man. That was wild to watch. 
and was so, the only thing that would shake me all weekend was just trying to keep track of where everyone was going during the during the length of a, a Southern Virginia rally. It was incredible. You're trying to keep up with commentary. Like, oh, you know, he plays on the right, he plays on the left. You can get it. No assumptions allowed with Southern Virginia. You had to. I think I saw a typo blocking it. Or, I think I saw a typo blocking in the middle during one during oh, one rotation. I yeah. I thought we did weird stuff because we have Gene Block left and yeah. Gene Block middle sometimes to get him away from some of the big left sides and then yeah. the hitting the D ball or the Bic. Like mm-hmm. I thought you were doing some things a little unique and I watched yeah. them play. And I was like, okay, no, yeah, we're just... not doing anything unique at all. That's impressive. Oh, oh Tom, oh my God. The coach Peterson. My my God, I'll have to talk to him at some point too. But uh so all of a sudden, like this final four, uh, like this, like there's these were the top, these were the top teams in the landscape at the moment. Like, obviously, like, people can talk about Springfield New Paltz not being there at the tournament. Well, they had their opportunities, and you guys beat Vassar, right? Like, you literally, like, you beat Vassar in this tournament. Or, no, Dominican beat Vassar, and then you beat Dominican again, and you're playing. Yeah, I, Sorry, yeah. my apologies. But now we had two great semifinal matches, in my opinion. Like, I know that it was – I actually – I particularly enjoyed the dominican Carthage game, and I also particularly enjoyed the Benedictine SVU game because – and – me and some of the guys at the pond have talked about this all year. Right. And I've talked about this with other coaches during the year. Like you watch Benedictine play on film and you're like, okay, they have some vulnerabilities here. They have some vulnerabilities here, but this team, I watched them play Dominican early in the year. They lived like quite literally lived in the mud in terms of a volleyball match, because like the, like down and dirty transition phases of a volleyball game, if it ever got into that, which it doesn't often in the men's game, right? Because we play a lot more in complex one than complex two, where it's serve and serve receive. If you get a good pass, like the point is essentially over. Well, Benedictine kind of just flipped the script on that this year, because most of the high profile matches I watched them play, they were winning in the dirty transition phases of the game because their hitting efficiency wasn't the highest throughout the year, but they were able to find that formula. And then I know Harvey called them the meat grinder, which is kind of like one of the best ways of talking about their program was they were intrinsically just making other teams play ugly to the point where they now had this ability to just take the game away from them. And I know you guys want beat you guys beat them three. Oh, I want to say the first match was a three Oh win for you all in the regular season. But now all of a sudden you come into the finals and this match is going to five, right? Like the way that, like the way that Benedictine's playing is like, they're literally getting you to play in those down and dirty moments. So I kind of wanted to get like some uh, feedback from you on like what it was like coaching during that game right there. And like, what were things that you saw them doing that were giving you some problems? Um, I thought Chase Olsen was really good. Like, really <laughs> good. Um, we went to that match, um, and we flat out said, I flat out said to Zach and Parker, like, we're going to go commit on Chase Olsen, mm-hmm. sir, perceived transition. Um, we thought we had a pretty good opportunity to slow them down in the other phases of the game, as long as Chase couldn't hit 400, 450 and keep them terminal receive, right? So what was even wilder to me was our goal was to shut down chase olsen from point one mm-hmm. and from point one chase olsen was scoring points <laughs> and <laughs> that was our scout report our scout report was to go limit his ability to score and mm-hmm. they just scored right in front of us um mm-hmm. and so i think one of the things that we struggled with was chase and it opened up the entire offense because we were committing on him anyway mm-hmm. um so we were already going to take our chances on the pins <laughs> to try to slow chase down and when chase was scoring with the commit on now we were really, really in a tough spot because we had to continue to commit to try to slow him down and then still take our chances with uh, 
Grigo, and Grigo was playing the best match of his tournament in the yeah, final. Yeah, I was just gonna say like that was the that was the match where Grigo kind of just like came alive too, and yeah. we were all waiting for it. We were literally all waiting for it. He just wasn't warmed up yet. He hadn't taken you know hit swing five oh fuel five oh five, and his arm was finally loose when Carthage rolled around. It was from the fifth set of Southern Virginia on. He scored at like a 70% rate because he finally that that arm odometer was going. He had enough miles on it. That mm-hmm. arm odometer. It was it was pretty impressive. And, and like what yeah, like we we're trying to slow chase down. He's scoring. Now Grigo is having the best match of his tournament. Um and, and I think for a lot of it, we're we're digging in and we're trying to survive. <clears throat> and uh, I think we talked a lot about like trying to find Carthage volleyball and trusting that we're gonna find it. And for a lot of matches this year, we were able to go find it. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think Zach Boltai specifically was getting super frustrated that he's commit blocking on Chase Olsen. It's, it's, it's just not doing anything. Yeah, and he's he's used to like shutting other people down. Like it's the mm-hmm. entire season, he when he's on a commit block, nobody can score against him. So for me, that was interesting to see him re- react to that. We hadn't seen him have to react to that yet all season. And it was awesome the way he took that as a personal challenge to himself mm-hmm. to be great offensively too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as he made that switch into set two, um, he was going to go help us out and maybe he couldn't slow chase down, but he was going to go be more effective as he oh, possible. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, we tried to get Zach the ball some more. And again, I think through four sets, through four sets of volleyball, we, we were just trying to survive. And then that's all it was. And actually the entire match, I think defensively, we were trying to survive. We're that's, to that's a Benedictine game. That's the, that's the game right they there. They, make- it. they dictated it, man. And, and yeah. we were trying to get in front of Olsen as best we could. We couldn't do it. Um, we knew uh, Nate Clemish wanted to hit line. We did a pretty good job mm-hmm. with him. Um, and, and, and so it was about trying to get more service pressure out of it. Uh, Slip mm-hmm. struggled, and we don't usually see Slip struggle from the baseline a whole ton. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so we just couldn't serve him out of system. Um, I, was gonna, I was actually going to say, because like I, I know Carthage serving is actually particularly intense. And I know Slavinsky was actually having some, he probably had the worst serving match of his entire career during the championship game. I think he yeah. literally missed eight serves in a row. Nine, well, he, is, missed nine, he missed nine total. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I'm no. not saying that as a shot against Matt, obviously. That's not, no, because I'm saying I mean, here. He's literally one of the probably one of the top three servers in the country. If anyone literally looked at his servants, like he, the dude's got a cannon. And then all of a sudden, you're you don't get that service pressure in a rotation where you're really banking on the service pressure. To it was of, yeah. it was after rotation two that we struggled, and we have Carter and Sliv flipped. Mm-hmm. So Carter's actually serving in two, and Sliv mm-hmm. serves five. So Sliv can hit the D ball. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless, I digress. Uh, Carter's ball is usually the one we score off of the most. Yeah, um, really. Okay. We have our best blocking lineup in, and Carter's arm is pretty, okay. pretty solid. No, he's got a good. No, not, Carter's got a great serve. No I, joke, right? He definitely um, does have a good serve. But we get Sliv blocking, we have Zach blocking, and we have Bryce Thomas blocking. So that's our best blocking lineup with okay. our. If he's our second best server, it's not by much, you yeah. know, coming yeah. in off of the defensor. So um, that's actually been our best rotation. But yeah, just missing Sliv's ball, and um, that was tough. Uh, and Carter was off too. He didn't score a whole ton of points either in that match with his serve. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that forced us to play a game that we were not comfortable in, in terms of the defense. And again, the other part of it is our game plan was to stop chase. We couldn't. So mm-hmm. this forced us to live offensively. And I guess we've talked about this in different interviews, I think with Rob, um, that we, I think what made us so special this year 
is we could win in different ways, right? I thought against Dominican, we won with our backcourt defense. We dug a ton of balls. We kind of knew where Coogan wanted to go with the ball. We kind of mm-hmm. get some good opportunities to, to dig and turn. Uh, and we won there with like, some really good service pressure from Carter and Sliv. And then we turned that around in the final. I think we just purely won because of our offense, period. Uh, <laughs> nothing else was working. I don't think we did anything else well the entire match. But set two and 600 and set five. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to be impossible to stop a team if they're hitting 500 and 600. And that's really it's, all. Hitting, hitting is king. Hitting, it's literally it, the greatest statistical predictor of victory in volleyball will always be who, what team is hitting. You know what's really bad is I've spent all yeah. year long preaching to my guys, defense yeah. wins, defense <laughs> wins, defense <laughs> wins. We're not going to win a national championship with offense. Defense, okay. defense, defense. It's, it's, it's finals with some defense, but we win the championship with offense. So uh, maybe I'm not as smart as I look. <laughs> well, it's funny because uh, and Connor's laughing too, because like when, when you go into the new Paltz gym, it's quite literally like defense. And Radu is very, very smart. Like Radu is one of the smartest volleyball minds I know. And like, he does things like his own way, but it like, it's just funny because defense almost just doesn't really matter in that gym whatsoever because the mentality is always going to be, we're going to serve them out of system. They're going to give us a free ball. The, the, the defense is the serve. And then at that point, we're just going to terminate the free ball. Yeah. And if that's not how the game plan goes, and you can actually watch New Paul, if I'm, and you guys have all watched New Paul's play a lot. Like they don't do well in the transition phase of the game because that's just not their strength. Like their strength is first ball side out and they want to win in the first ball side out phase of the game. And so it's I either. Just think, yeah. You know what? I, I, as a libero, first of all, I probably couldn't stomach that. And actually I can't like the more. <laughs> I watch, right. And, yeah. and my, my biggest, like uh, when I get really upset watching my team play, yeah, it's almost like it's just pass that kill, pass that kill, pass that kill. Right. Uh, Cause then I don't, <laughs> anybody's engaged and it, yeah. it, it's just for me it's a bad brand of volleyball because it's not fun to watch like it's just mm-hmm. like yeah it's we all look good, we all look good playing offense cool but like volleyball is fun to watch when there's a great block that you can turn it or mm-hmm. somebody make a great dig or somebody gets a step block like for me that's fun volleyball right yeah um, and so i first of all we practiced a lot of offense every single yeah. year because i get it i know you win and lose based on your offense and offense yeah. is really all that matters yeah but like at the end of the day, like, I just, it's just not fun for me to watch when it's just. <laughs> <laughs> no, and honestly, it just kind of shows how there's like, like what you said earlier, there's a bunch of different ways to win. I know, uh, and they talk about that in the art of coaching volleyball too. Like every, there's literally, and when you think of uh, Russ Rose and, um, oh my God, John Dunning, very two different minds that have coached very, very differently. And they coach a very different style of volleyball. And yet they have both won at the highest level in the collegiate, in the collegiate sphere. And honestly, like Benedictine almost did it this year by bringing Deans down into the mud. They almost brought you guys down to the mud too. And it just goes well, to what did. you're saying. They yeah. did. <laughs> they did it. They did it. Yeah, but you came up triumphant. Now you have a nice trophy behind you there that you've so nicely put into frame. <laughs> so um, this will kind of be my last question here because we've been talking for a while and I know everyone is busy. And so moving forward, right? So like this, I personally think this was a great way to end the season. I thought this tournament was fantastic. Uh, and obviously kudos to you guys out there in Carthage, JW, like you guys worked really hard throughout the season and you earned it, but moving forward, like, what do we, what can we kind of expect next year? Right. Outside. And I'm sure I'm just going to, and I'm sure you're going to be like a Carthage retweet and I'm just going to cut that answer off. Right. <laughs> but like, what can we expect next year? Like what, like, what, where does D3 go from here? Because we're going to be coming out of this pandemic. We're going to be coming out of this pandemic. We're going to be 
going into a phase where it's the first time ever that Midwest volleyball has reigned supreme. And now next year we have a bunch of programs coming back in. So like Messiah, they've, Messiah has asserted themselves on the national landscape. They have a loaded class coming in. New NYU, or NYU and MIT, historically strong programs, both have good recruiting classes coming in and reasserting themselves. Uh, we have the Juniata is going to, Juniata, they, Kevin Duffy's returning and they were very good this year. They, could, they were a tournament caliber team this year. Uh, New Paltz, you can't throw New Paltz out. And then obviously Springfield is going to be loaded too. So like, where, where does the division go? And obviously like, we're not like the experts, but we're talking about it. So I have to pose the question. So we'll go JW, Rob, then Connor. Yeah. Do you know what that sounds like to me, Ramius? It sounds like fun. That's what, that yeah. <laughs> um, you know, what's what I think was awesome this year and, and whether or not you want to call it Midwest dominance or whatever, like we, we did have some teams in, I don't quite think it was dominance. I think we just played good volleyball at the right you time. Yeah. Um, okay. You can call it dominance. I'll just call it that. we. Made, oh. <laughs> I, I don't want to refer to it as dominance. Here. I'm a bigger target my back than we already got. Um, okay. But I, I think what it's, it's just fun. Like I think we were able to prove both Christian and, and Cam and, and myself and Dominican and Carthage and Benedictine um, were able to show that like Midwest volleyball is good. We, we play a different brand of volleyball, I think, but it, it's still good volleyball, right? And and it's high level volleyball. Um, and so I, I think we were able to prove that this year that just because we're playing out here, only playing amongst ourselves most of the time, it doesn't mean it's bad volleyball. It just means it's different volleyball and it's different competition. Um, so I'm really looking forward to to more crossover matches between the Midwest and the East Coast in the regular season. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and hopefully, I know. Um, I mean, I have a, I have Stevens and NYU on the schedule. I, I know Christian's hey. good teams in the schedule. Like I, I know there is going to be some good crossover, and if we can do it, hopefully, mm -hmm. hopefully we can yeah. do it. Fingers crossed, obviously. Yeah. But Fingers I'm looking crossed. forward to that. I'm looking forward to good, awesome matchups, and mm -hmm. I'm looking forward to a top 15 that nobody knows any idea who should be where. I'm looking I forward because that. that means it's going to be fun by the end of the year, right? Yeah, and I honestly like thinking now, like I have no idea what a top fifth like. And oh no, I, Rob and I are both voters, and I have I, it's gonna be impossible to do it. Like it's it's gonna be super impossible to do it. It's like all right, this team's good, and like in Bon like and that's another thing. Like Bon Bon is good. Bon Bon's gonna be good next year too. Bon Bon, and, and they're bon not. They bon weren't lost to Messiah with their two left sides hitting four hundred and four fifty. How was that? Tell me how that. Don't get me started on like that was my if that, that like. I, and I actually, and I picked Fontbon to win against Messiah in like my bracket. I'm sitting here being like, I literally could not believe the hitting. Like that matchup was all hitting. That li literally was all hitting. And That's it still a fun went match to, to watch. It was, was so fun. much fun. No to digs, watch. no blocks, just no digs. <laughs> yeah, JW didn't like it, but everybody else liked it. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it was great, it was awesomely played. Like both teams were efficient. It was fun. And they were going. At it. Yeah. That's what I liked about. You're throwing haymakers, like they're both throwing haymakers. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, crazy. We we set the tone with that, and then we had eight consecutive sweeps until the Benedictine Southern Virginia final, which obviously went five, and then the national championship went five. So it definitely created a different atmosphere in the gym. We're like, oh my gosh, this is gonna be an unbelievable weekend. I mean, our, our first match is this five set yeah. haymaker, and then everything after that was just chalk, chalk, chalk all the way through. <laughs> well i will say, like what not all sweeps are created equal right because like uh there's definitely like i mean even though the carthage dominican game was a sweep like, i actually i particularly liked how that game played out like the and even going earlier in the year like the ncc carthage game was also a sweep but those teams were literally just throwing bombs at each other i'm sitting there being like that's we escaped, we escaped the semifinal. we escaped a bunch of matches this year it was we just kind of escaped out of it somehow it wasn't like we won it
All right. So, Rob, where, do you, where does D3 go from here? What do you think? So, so I think one of the important things to remember is, is next year we'll be heading back to a 16-team tournament, which is awesome. Um, obviously, we won't have everyone at the final site, but you'll have oh, four – You'll have four regional pods of uh, of four teams, so it'll be it'll be awesome to have kind of that final four like atmosphere in in each of those gyms. And, and one of the interesting things I think will to be who who makes who makes the breakouts all over. I know you mentioned um, MIT, NYU, a couple programs coming back, but you know close to home for me is, is Dan has a year under his belt at Stevens now. They had a yeah. couple opt outs. There you go. Some seniors who didn't play, so those guys. That, that's another crew that's there you go. Back you have... on the national yeah. landscape. And, and as a as a voter, I know I've had talks with a couple coaches. I, I think we're starting to transcend past that top fifteen at this point. Yeah. We're looking at a top 20. twenty or a top twenty five because of the amount of quality programs are, you know, I don't I'm, want to do that. That's like, it's going to be, it's going to be impossible to pick 15. Now I got to pick 20. What are you doing here? <laughs> JW's like, I want to rank five. I, I, I just one want... other thing is, I don't know how to rank the 15 that I'm going to rank. Like the 20. <laughs> take me to do. I, it's going to take me five more hours. Why do you think I only have the pond give me their top five at the end yeah, of every pond talk? Only 15. Now I got to pick five more. Man, yeah. it'd be so tough. Ten more. Ten, but, uh, I'd be, I could I could be sold on a top twenty. I could be sold on a top twenty, especially because like we're getting more program, like we're getting more programs. Like Hood College is going to be coming down the pipeline soon, and I've like heard some rumblings for a couple from a couple other schools here on the East Coast and the Midwest. But obviously, like I mean, and that was one of the reasons why I started Frog Jump was just because our our landscape is growing and we're growing. It, we're like the fastest growing three sport and the men's side of athletics and especially in america at the club level like boys volleyball is one of the fastest growing sports in the country and like we're only going to get bigger but yeah so sorry rob i didn't mean to cut no, you off there fine. i just figured i'd like to keep going and, and then i think the other thing i'd have to look at the numbers year by year but this might be the highest percentage we have of returning all americans from mm -hmm. one year to the next so not only are we going to be loaded in terms of program talent but individual talent across the country is going to mm -hmm. be, is going to be nuts. You know, yeah. Being on those calls, it's hard enough to decide between, you know, great, a, great player A versus great player B. And now we're going to be adding in another talented freshman class that has experience on the belt because we're going to mm -hmm. have junior nationals and have mm -hmm. that this summer. And those guys are going to be coming in with, you know, there'll be teams that have, 24 and 25 year olds competing for their programs with five and six years of, of college volleyball, volleyball under their yeah. belt. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the freshmen continue to assimilate and make their impact there mm -hmm. and how that kind of stands out in terms of individual performances and talents. You know, who's our, who's our Mason Nisley breakout? Who's mm -hmm. our, who's our Slavinsky who jumps from, you know, nationally elite to historically great. Those, yeah. those conversations and those performances may happen all over next year. Mm -hmm. And well, what about you, Con uh, Connor? Where do we go? Where's D3 go from here? Right to the moon, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> the line, Connor, I am putting that, I am literally going to make that the trailer for the podcast. Gotta, yeah. gotta, that's us, D3 to the moon, frog jump to the moon. You know, to the moon. as all of you guys are saying, you know, I think this year was a great year for like, you know, like like a like a program like Messiah, you know, to break out and like really expose themselves while, and then like next year, you know, MIT, NYU, like Stevens, like, 
Springfield, like, I mean, even Springfield played this year, but, you know, they played, like, what, like, four or five games, you know? I want to say it was six, but I don't know. I know yeah. they lost once. Yeah. I mean, that was... <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Springfield. <laughs> you might need to cut this part, Ruby. <laughs> we'll be shut down quick. <laughs> it's all good. Well, we see the D3 going up from here, you know? Like, there's so much good competition, so many schools, you know I mean? Like, the fact that we're even having a conversation about having a top 20 teams, like, I mean, that's, that's crazy. So mm -hmm. frog, frog jump and D3 to the moon. <laughs> well, thanks for the product placement, Connor. I appreciate it. JW uh, had a great point too, talking about the Midwest East coast crossovers. Need more. This year specifically, every team is going to be more open to it because of the quality that one showed another mm -hmm. especially with the midwest powers having newer head coaches and, and jw and christian and cam mm -hmm. having everyone at the same site for the championship building those relationships i know that christian's going up to wentworth i know that oh, cam's coming yeah. out to juniata jw mentioned he's going up to that new york city area so right going there, to juniata i'm gonna have to go out there and watch that game jesus yeah, all you, right you, you've got the three premier midwest programs all making trips to see the East Coast programs and then vice versa in, in, in future years, I'm sure. So that crossover is a huge piece of where this is going because we have that kind of community. And it's a lot easier for us to go making an argument to the administration. Oh, why do you need to go East? Why do you need to go to the Midwest? There's only 100 programs for me to play. I got to go play somebody. Hey, so I, I think it'll be a nice, a nice added wrinkle. We'll see more of that next year. I'm happy to hear that because at the end of the day, you have to play the best to be the best and you have to beat the best to be called the best. And right now, the best right now is Carthage Volleyball out there in the Midwest. And I just kind of want to thank you all for coming on for the first official podcast. And JW, congratulations to you and your team. Uh, give them my best. Uh, Rob, uh, always a class act, man. I'm always happy to have you on. Harvey says hello. Connor, you and I, we talk every day. And obviously, you're going to be taking over this. And I really do appreciate the feedback you gave as a student athlete this year. And so with that, we can all sign off. And I do want to say thank you all once again. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Peace and love to all. Everybody. Bye.